Advent season, and our, our theme for this Advent is hope, God's gift to you. And this morning, I, I want you to keep two dates in mind, October 19th and January 23rd, 65 days, okay? Now, if we could have the map up here real quickly. This is a picture of, of North America, basically. At the very top of North America is the state of Alaska. It's the it's northernmost part of the United States. But at the very top of Alaska is the city of Barrow, Alaska. They uh, do a lot of oil exploration and things up there. But that date of October 19th is the day the sun goes down on Barrow, Alaska. And the sun does not come up again until January 23rd. Can you imagine that? I, 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 that? That boggles my mind. They watch it go down. They, the people drive out there, and they watch the sun go down for the last time. And then on January 23rd, the sun comes up at about uh, 12.30 in the afternoon, and they all go out there to see, is, this, is it going to be cloudy, or are they actually going to be able to see the sun just barely rise up off the horizon? But the sun came up. And you think about that. When we lived in Minnesota... Um, just the north or the middle part of the United States, all the way up to by Canada. Uh, at this time of year, at our Christmas Eve celebration, the the sun would start going down about three thirty in the afternoon. Uh, it, terrible! It, it it does things to your personality because the days are so short. But I, why do I say all that? Because as we come to Isaiah chapter nine, verses two, and then I'm going to look at verse six and seven. It has this statement, it says, A people walking in darkness have seen a great light. The, the nation of Israel, if we could have the next map up here, please. The nation of, there's two kingdoms. Because for some of you are saying, well, I thought Israel was just all Israel. Well, it was at one time. But after King Solomon, his next son that comes in is a guy by the name of Rehoboam. Rehoboam was not a good king. And as a result, the ten of the tribes split and went to the north. And their capital was in the area of Samaria. Two of the tribes, Judah and Benjamin, stayed to the south. The tribe of, of Israel, or the nation of Israel, this is about 725 B.C. that this is being written, that Isaiah is writing, Isaiah chapter 9. In 722, to the north, to the north of there is the nation of Assyria. Assyria is going to come in, and they are going to take captive Israel. And Israel at that time will go into captivity. It ceases to exist. The nation of Judah, to the south, has about 100 more years. 586 B.C., the Babylonians will come through and level the city of Jerusalem. And it is in this time that Isaiah is, is speaking to, it, to, it, excuse me, to Judah. The sun is getting ready to set. And he's saying, uh, uh, people walking in darkness. They're walking in darkness. Why? The nation of, of Judah, I mean, for the most part, most of the kings, many of the kings were good kings. But there were some really bad kings in there as well. Manasseh comes from the, tribe, or comes from the nation of Judah. He reigns for 52 years. And he is one of the worst kings that, that Judah had at that time. But the time is coming. And at this time, Israel, excuse me, Judah is steeped in idolatry. It is steeped in, in unrighteousness. They don't care for the poor. There's a lot of greed that's going on there. And Isaiah is speaking to this people. And he's prophesying to these people. And he's saying, A people walking in darkness have seen a great light. They're walking in darkness. Ahaz is going to make a big mistake. The two nations just above 
the nation of Israel as well as the nation of what they call Aram, which is modern-day Syria, are getting ready to attack Judah. And Judah instead, Ahaz, instead of trusting God, turns, one of the worst decisions he could ever make, he turns to Assyria. He turns to Assyria and asks them for help. In return for all of that, he has to take basically all of the stuff out of the temple. And so the king of Assyria comes down, takes care of Israel, takes care of Syria, but makes Judah a vassal nation. As a result of that, Ahaz goes up and sees in Damascus, up in Syria, he sees the temple and he sees the altar. And he says, I want that. I want that brought back. I want that design brought back back into the, into the temple in Jerusalem. He says, because if the gods there were strong enough to defeat Judah, maybe they're the ones that I should worship. Keep that in the back of your mind because that's going to come back here. But he said, a people walking in darkness. Why were they walking in darkness? We're told in John 3.39, men love darkness because their deeds are evil. But it is in the midst of this darkness that God brings hope. Was the nation of Israel, was the nation of Uh, Judah looking for this hope? No, they weren't. How do we know that? God sends Isaiah to Ahaz and says, test me, test me, ask me for something. Whether it be high or low, ask me for something. And Ahaz says, I will not test the Lord. And Isaiah says, okay, fine, then the Lord will give you a word. A virgin shall conceive and give birth to a son, and he will be called Emmanuel. That's where that comes from. Ahaz would not trust God, and yet God promises. The book of Isaiah, you see two two themes coming back and forth. You see the theme of judgment, but always with the judgment there is hope. And here comes the hope. They weren't looking for hope. Judah was not looking for hope, but God was promising. God was promising that there was coming a time. When does Isaiah write this? He's writing 700 years before the time of Christ. Who is going to be the hope? It was Christ. Who is our hope? I mean, in in the midst of what we're walking through as a city, as a world, who is our hope? If your hope is in anything else besides Christ, it will never stand that test. Hebrews chapter 6 verse 9 says, We have this hope as an anchor, firm and secure. Who is that hope? Who is that one that is firm and secure? It is Christ. If our hope is in anyone else besides Christ, because sometimes we put hope in our portfolio, sometimes we put hope in how much money we have in the bank, or our education, or what we do for a living, or where we live, or who our parents were, and all of these things, if we put our hope in those things, it will never last. Only hope that is put in Christ will last. And God is promising hope here for the nation of Israel. He says, a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. In 1975, the nation of of Cambodia was the second toughest nation behind the nation of Israel to reach for the Lord. We had been, the Christian Missionary Alliance had been in Cambodia since 1923, and in the time between 1923 and 1975, we had only 200 people that had come to the Lord. We had translated the Bible in that time, we translated the hymnals, but it was hard ground. It was very, very hard ground. People were coming at the very end, just before the communists took, overtook uh, Phnom Penh, people began, there began a revival that began to set in. The Tumnuktuk Church in Phnom Penh, 
There were 600 people that day. The Khmer Rouge were already just outside the city. The city was going to fall that day or that week. And the Khmer Rouge were out there. And the people, they knew that it was going to happen. And they, began, and they said, let's write on the back of the wall our names. And when we come back, we'll see who comes back. Out of those 600, four came back. We lost almost every single one of our pastors in, in the time of that killing field. When the sun went down in uh, April 17, 1975, they didn't know what was going to happen. In 1979, when the sun came back up and the Viet Cong pushed the Khmer Rouge out of, out of that area, the sun came up and what was left? There were two million people who had died in the, in the killing fields during that time. And they thought, what, what could ever come out of that? But today, if you could see Cambodia, and if you could see the light that is shining in Cambodia, a people walking in darkness have seen a great light. God always brings hope, no matter how dark it may seem. God brings hope in the darkest of times. There's your first one. God brings hope in the darkest of times. Hope in the darkest of times. But not only does hope come in the darkest of times, hope came as a child. It says in verse Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. To us a child was born. This child was the product of of prophecy. We read in um, in in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son and and will call him Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Think about that. Hope came as a child, but hope came as a child who was God, very God. You think about that. How much more vulnerable is anything but a child? I look back at Timothy and Taiwo and their little baby back there. There's nothing more vulnerable than a child, and God came vulnerable as a child. Your hope came as a child. Your hope came in the darkest of times. Your hope came. God said this hope would come. 700 years before that God made a promise. And whenever God makes a promise, he keeps that promise. Hope, this hope is promised. Isaiah chapter 7 verse 14. Matthew chapter 1, we see the fulfillment of that prophecy. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son. And they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. In Luke, we, or excuse me, in, yeah, in Luke chapter 2, verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. This child was the one that the angels spoke to. Who did they speak to first? Who did they tell this message to first? They were shepherds. Lowest of the low. But God, why shepherds? Why not shepherds? Everyone in the line of Christ had been a shepherd. David had been a shepherd. Abraham had been a shepherd. Jacob had been a shepherd. And God brings this precious message to the shepherds first. This child was promised. And God fulfilled his promise. Not only was this child promised, but this child was given. Given by God. We say this verse often, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. God gave And how did God give? He gave the best that he had. He gave with open hands, and he turned those hands over, and he says, I will give you the very best that I have. And not only did God give, but Christ gave himself up. It says in Philippians 2 that he became obedient unto death, even death on the cross. He became a servant for us. When God gave, 
He didn't give with a stingy heart. There's a word I, I don't know. As I shared this yesterday, do you know what the word stingy means? Stingy means you kind of hold on. When God asks for something, you, you kind of hold back. One of our children, we had to really work with him because he was really stingy. He didn't want to give out. When God gave, he didn't give with a stingy hand. He gave with an open hand. And when God calls upon us, how, how do we give back? When God asks of us, how do we give back? Do we give back with a closed hand or do we open it up just a little bit? God is our example. He gave. God, first, God so loved. He gave. God demonstrated his love for us. Whenever we're tempted, you'll hear me say this many times, whenever we are tempted to doubt the love of God, we look back at the cross because it's at the cross that God demonstrated his love. This child came in the darkest of times. This child, this, our hope came as a child. This hope was promised. This hope was given. But also, this child, authority, Authority was given to this child. I'm going to come back to that in a minute. But look at Philippians chapter 2, verse 9, or excuse me, Matthew chapter 28. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. That is a powerful verse. Why is that powerful? Because as a child of the Most High God, you do not go out in your own strength nor in your own power. Jesus said, All authority has been placed upon my head, upon my shoulders. And I am the one who's sending you out, not in your strength, not in your authority, but in mine. And we're going to learn about that authority in a minute that Jesus had. But we go out. When I was talking with Sut and Sina a few weeks ago, and I asked them, we're sitting out at Lama Island, and I said, what do you look back to? What do you point to and say, why are so many people coming to Christ left and right? People are coming to Christ. People are calling up and saying, how do I become a Christian? I mean, just all over. And I said, where? You guys walked into the middle of it. God's word says, one sowed, another, or one wa- sowed, one watered, and another one reaps. The- and you're at that place of reaping. What was happening? And he said, I can tell you what was happening. For two years... The people of the one church, a small little church, you go there and you think, man, there are flies all over the place at this place. There's a chicken farm right next to there. And it smells like there's a chicken farm next to it. And you think, what good could ever come out of this place? But in that church, he said, they fasted and prayed for two years, asking God, pleading with God, please send us somebody. Send us people who can share with people about Christ. And he says, those people in Cambodia, said, they have almost nothing. Most of the time, their churches are about the size of this half of this stage going up to the, up to the curtain. That's all that it is. It's just like the, the front porch. But he said, what they have is that they know how to pray, and they know who they are in Christ. And he says, it is amazing to watch them pray. He says, they pray, and God answers their prayers. They know who they are in Christ. All authority was placed upon the shoulders on the shoulders of Christ. He's God, fully God. But God invested upon his son all that in thor- all that authority. Philippians chapter 2, we read these words. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. People use the name of Christ as a swear word. People say OMG quite often or one of the phrases you hear many times is oh my god. It's like they use that phrase over and over, and that is an affront to a holy God. And it's those people as well as everyone else in this world. It says, at the name of Jesus, Father, hallowed be thy name, is what we're told in Scripture. 
And he says, at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and every tongue in heaven and in earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God exalted Jesus to the highest place. This child came in the darkest of times. This child came as a promise. This child was given authority. All the authority was placed upon him. And we move out in that authority as well. Well, this child had four names, four different names. His first name, is, it says, and, the, and he will be called, and watch this, it's Wonderful Counselor. It's not Wonderful Counselor. It is one name, all these names, Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. They're all one title. It's four names, not eight. Okay, so he's called Wonderful Counselor, and that word wonderful, it has the idea of, of being uh, miraculous, of being, of being wonderful, and the uh, counselor part of it is the teaching part of it. Now I want us to look at some scriptures, because when he came teaching, watch, there is one word that's going to keep showing up in this. As we look at, at this in, um, excuse me, uh, we're in uh, Luke chapter 4, verse 36, and it says, all the people were amazed and said to each other, what it... What is this teaching? With authority and power, he gives orders to evil spirits, and they come out. Did you catch the word amazed? Watch that. It's going to come back again. Go to the next scripture, please. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were what? They were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority, not as their teachers of the law. That gives you a question to ask, how are they teaching? The next scripture, please. Coming to his hometown, he began teaching the people in their synagogues, and they were amazed. Where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Remember, he's just a carpenter's son. Coming from Nazareth, a dusty little town in northern Galilee. One last one. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogues, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man... Excuse me. but I'm smart enough to have numbered the pages this time. Where did this man get this teaching? Where did, the, where did this man get these things, they asked? What is this wisdom that has been given him, that he even does miracles? You see, when Jesus came upon this earth, and when he taught, it elicited one of two responses. It elicited either what? Acceptance or rejection. When he spoke, it was never like, oh, that was a... That was, that was interesting. I wonder what's for lunch. It was never with that in mind. When Jesus spoke, he spoke with authority. And when Jesus spoke, he spoke the very words of God. And when the people heard it, either their hearts were turned away or their hearts were turned to. Such a We got a bad battery or what do we got? Got it? Okay. Either their hearts were amazed or their hearts rejected God. In his teaching, he is a wonderful counselor. He is a wonderful counselor. He's a counselor. He's the one who comes along, alongside. Isaiah chapter 53, verse, four and, and verse 3 and 4 says, He was despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering, like one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he took up our infirmities and carried our sorrows. Yet we considered him stricken by God, smitten by him, and deeply afflicted. Your hope deeply cares for you. Your hope deeply cares for you. Your hope came in the darkest of times. 
Your hope came as a child. Your hope deeply cares for you. God knows exactly what it is you're walking through. And he is the one who deeply cares. Our, our supper on uh, Friday night was interrupted. I received a, a text message from the United States from my, my niece. And she told me, uh, uh, this was, she lives in Purim. Uh, and uh, she told me that uh, one of the gals in our church that we had pastored in Minnesota, uh, beautiful, beautiful young girl, comes from a huge extended family. And there had been an accident. Her husband was a, was a Black Hawk helicopter pilot. And I'd seen the, the reference on, uh, on Fox News, and I just kind of looked at it and didn't even open up the article. Well, he was a Black Hawk helicopter pilot uh, with the uh, he had been with the Air, uh, 101st Airborne in Afghanistan, and he was now in the Air National Guard in, in Minnesota. And they had fixed the helicopter, and they sent it out on a maintenance run. And on the maintenance run, the helicopter had crashed. And we were getting word that this young gal and her husband, um, that her husband had been killed in action. And it just broke our hearts. I mean, it's just the young young girl, I mean, she's not even 30 years old, has a child. She's due with her second child in February. And, you know, we, we began feverishly. You put, you put the supper aside. You begin to, to type messages not only to her, but you type messages to the family. And, and where do you go in times like this? You're 6,000-some miles away. You know, what, what, what can you do at this time? You can go to the Lord. And we just began praying after we had eaten our supper. We prayed for Kaylee. We prayed for her family and asked, God, would you please, would you please comfort them? Your hope deeply cares about you. It deeply, he deeply cares about what it is that you're walking through. He deeply cares about injustice. He deeply cares for you. And he is the one who comes alongside because he knows what it's like to be rejected. He knows what it's like to walk through times of pain. He is wonderful counselor. He, your hope, your hope deeply cares for you. But not only does your hope deeply care for you, your hope is mighty God. Your hope is mighty God. We read, it, uh, people have said from time to time that, that Jesus never claimed to be God. There's nothing more false than that. Jesus, in the book of John, you want to do a study in the book of John, you want to look at the times when Jesus made his I am statements. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the door. I am the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. I am the light of the world. All the seven different times that he made those statements. But he said, well, he never claimed to be God. John 8, 58. Jesus is having a conversation with the Pharisees. And he says, before Abraham was, I am. And what was the response of the Pharisees? They picked up stones to stone him. Why? Because they knew what Jesus was saying. He was claiming to be God. It is one thing to claim to be God. It is another to be God. Mark's gospel gives us an excellent, an excellent reference point when we want to see Jesus as God. Because five different times in the book of Mark, we see Jesus with authority. Five different authority over different areas. The first of them we see in Mark chapter 2. Remember the story? The four men bring of somebody who is paralyzed. They open up. They try to get in. They can't get in. They open up the roof and they lower this paralyzed man down. And it says, Jesus, seeing their faith, said, be healed. I'm glad someone said no, because that's not what he said. 
Jesus, seeing their faith, says what? Your sins are forgiven. What's the greatest need of this man? It was not the healing of his physical body. It was the healing of his soul. Jesus there demonstrated because the the Pharisees began to mutter to themselves, saying, who's this guy who claims to be able to forgive sins? And said, Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, that you may know that the Son of Man has authority to forgive sins. I say to you, rise up and walk. Jesus, in that opportunity, showed authority over two things, authority over sin and authority over sickness. When Jesus walks out, when he several different times, he calms the storm. With a word, he calms the storm. Twice. And he walked on water as well. He showed his authority over nature. When Jesus, the demons, did they know who he was? They absolutely knew who he was. And yet Jesus, at his command, they came out of him. He has authority over sin. He has authority over sickness. He has authority over nature. He has authority over demons. And when Jesus comes three different times, he came to someone who was dead. A mother was bringing in the city of Nain, a mother was bringing out her son out of the city. And Jesus, seeing it, does the absolute unthinkable. He stops and he puts his hand on the casket or on whatever it was there. Unthinkable, you didn't do that. And he raised this boy back up and gave him back to his mother. There was another occurrence when uh, a man came to him, the, uh, the Jairus came to him and he said, My daughter is dying. And while Jesus is on the way to heal the daughter, you remember the story of the woman who had an issue of blood for 12 years? And she said, if I can just touch the hem of his garment. And can't you see her just kind of reaching through the crowd and just touching the hem of his garment? And Jesus stops and says, somebody touched me. And can't you see the disciples? Lord, look at all the people around here. What do you mean somebody touched you? And Jesus said, somebody touched me for power has gone out of me. And in the midst of all that time, can't you see Jairus thinking, <laughs> my daughter is dying over here. And by the time they get there, she is dead. And Jesus has put them out. She's, she's only asleep. And as he picked her up, he said, little girl, rise up. And he gave her back his life. And the last instance is when Jesus comes to the tomb of his dear friend Lazarus. After four days... In the Jewish mindset, the body hovered erroneously. The soul of the body hovered around the person for four days. That's not true. It's a fallacy, but that's what they believed. Jesus comes when there's no hope. And he says to him, Lazarus, come forth. There's coming a day when Jesus is going to call forth those who are in the grave, those who have gone on before us. And he calls Lazarus by name, therefore declaring that he has the authority over which five areas? Authority over sin. Authority over sickness, authority over nature, authority over demons, and authority over death. Your hope is not in something that is fallible. Your hope is in mighty God. Your hope is mighty God. We have this hope as an anchor, firm and secure for our souls, is what it says. Your hope came as mighty God. Your hope is mighty God. Your hope deeply cares about you. Your hope came as a child. Your hope came in the time of deepest darkness. But not only that, your hope is eternal. We read that his name is called Everlasting Father. What does that mean, that he's Everlasting Father? How can the Son be the Father? This is a title that is being given here. And what does it mean? This, our hope, this hope, this deliverer, this Messiah, Jesus would come and he would function and he would do many of the things that a father would do. 
Deuteronomy chapter 6, we read these words. These commandments I give to you today are to be upon your hearts. Impress them upon your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down, when you get up. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. This command was predominantly given to the fathers of the home. And it's something as fathers here we need to remember as well. It is our primary responsibility to be the men of God in our homes, to lead our homes. That should not be relegated to somebody else. And we don't hear much about Joseph, the father of Jesus. We don't hear much about him. But boy, do we see the effects of his life upon Jesus. Where do we see that? Jesus, after he is baptized, it says that the Holy Spirit led him out into the desert to be tempted by the devil for 40 days. And every time the temptation came from the devil, what did Jesus say? It is written, it is written, it is written. Where did that come from? You go back into your scriptures and you can look. There's a little footnote on it and it will be Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Deuteronomy chapter 8. Right here, the things that they were to impress. We don't hear much about Joseph, but we see the things that Joseph had done. This was the job of the father. And as Jesus came, he taught his disciples on the way in all different kinds of situations. But not only would this deliverer, not only would this hope be one that comes as a father, but it's called everlasting father. Your hope is eternal. I love that there should be an amen that should raise from, uh, from here. Your hope is eternal because your hope is not in something of this world. Your hope is in Christ and Christ alone. Look at what it says about the etern- eternality about Christ. Revelation chapter 1, verse 8. He says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God, who is and who was and who is to come, the Almighty. The next scripture, please. Micah chapter 5, verse 2. Micah is prophesying around the same time as Isaiah, around 700 times. This scripture shows up when the Magi come into Jerusalem and say, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? We have seen his star in the east. And we have come to worship him. And the Pharisees got together and they said, He would be born in Bethlehem. And then this is added, But you, Bethlehem, Ephratah, though you are least among the thousands, out of you shall come forth to me the one to be, ruler over all Israel, whose goings forth are from of old, from everlasting. This prophesied one is an everlasting one. This everlasting, he is an everlasting father. Next scripture, please. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth, and the whole world from everlasting to everlasting. Ha'olam, ha'olam, you are God. It says, before the mountains were created, we read in Colossians chapter 1, verse 16 and 17, that it is by him and through him that all things were created. We talk about Christ. And before all this happened, he was, he was God. It says as well that, be, that before the foundation, he is the Lamb of God, slain before the foundations of the earth. Next scripture, please. In Isaiah chapter 40, verse 28, Do you not know? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. Here's why this is so huge. Your hope is eternal. Your hope is eternal. When you put your trust and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, he says this, For as many as received him to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. When you put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, he says, you are mine. Now hear this, please. 
Hear this, please. Remember as we talked about experiencing God, that God is the one who pursues us to have a relationship with us. We don't one day wake up, get out of bed, and decide, you know, I want to pray to receive Jesus Christ. It is God who pursues you to have a relationship. Why? Because left to our own devices, we would not have chosen God. Why? John chapter 3, verse 39. Men love darkness because their deeds are evil. But God brought light into this world. And when he brought the light into this world, he knew that there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none who seeks after God. God is the one who seeks you. It says in the book of John that it says, There is no one that comes to the Father unless the one who sent me draws them. God is the one who is drawing us. And when we come to that place of, we, of choosing Christ as our personal Savior, even the faith that it took for you to receive Christ is a gift from God. Why do I say that? Why am I frothing at the mouth at this? Because we have this erroneous idea that I can do something to lose my faith. Listen, if we didn't do anything to earn our salvation, how is it that we can lose our salvation? Your hope is not in what you've done. Your hope is in what God has done for us at the cross. Amen? Your hope is eternal. Your hope deeply cares for you. Your hope is mighty God. And lastly... Your hope brings lasting peace. Lasting peace comes in the form of Jesus Christ. We read, let me get my page here. This is good stuff. This is good stuff. Our hope, is, our hope brings lasting peace. This child, this child would be called the Prince of Peace. He would be called the Prince of Peace. He brings peace in two different ways. He is the peace, he brings peace with God. Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. There was a transfer at the cross. When Jesus Christ died, we could not pay the price for our sins. And at the cross, Jesus Christ paid for our sins. And at the cross, when that when Jesus died, when all the wrath of God was placed upon him, when he said it was finished, at that moment we were justified. All the all the righteousness of Christ, all of the righteousness, think about this, was taken from his account and was laid to your account. So that when you pray to receive Jesus Christ, you have peace with God. You have the peace, you have peace with God. We read as well in, in um, 1 Peter chapter 1, or excuse me, Isaiah chapter 53. But he was pierced for our transgressions, he was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us, What? Peace was upon him. Somebody had to bear the price. Somebody had to pay the price. And only one who was perfect could bear the price. And it was your lasting, it was the one who brought lasting peace. And by his wounds we were healed. And it wasn't with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed for the empty way of life, handed down to you from the Father. But it was with the precious blood. The next verse, verse 19 says, but with the precious blood of Christ our Savior. He brings peace with God. Your hope brings lasting peace. But he not only brings peace with God, he brings the peace of God. The peace of God. John John chapter 14, verse 1. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. John 14, 27. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you." you. Did you catch that? Salvation is a gift, but it is a gift that needs to be received. 
God doesn't force that upon us. Neither does God force upon us his peace. It is ours to choose. He says, peace I give to you. My peace I give to you. You know, sometimes there are things that are going on in our life. Sometimes it is financial. Sometimes it is with our our marriage. Sometimes it is with our employer or an employment or a parent or something that's going on in our life. And, And it is eating us alive. It is that thing at night that wakes us up. It is the first thing that we're thinking about in the morning when we wake up. We eat Tums by the handful or Nexium or whatever else it is because we just we can't sleep and we can't eat and everything. And this thing just consumes us. And God says in his word in Matthew, he says, don't be anxious about those things. He says, the pagans, those who don't know me, they run after those things. But you're my child. You're my child, he says. Don't, don't run after those things. He says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Why does he say don't let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid? Because when that thing becomes that which consumes your life, your attention, your focus goes off of God, and this becomes God, whatever that might be. And God says, don't let your hearts be troubled. I've got this. But how's it going to work out? I don't see how this is going to work out. Trust him. The one who created this world, the one who keeps this world in existence, the one who breathed life into your, into your body, the one who keeps you going, do you think he can handle those things? And I'm preaching to the choir right now. I'm preaching to myself as well. He can. The question is, will we trust him with these things? And he says, do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6 and 7. He says, do not be anxious about anything. That means anything. God's got it. He's got this. But in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, that's a hard one, isn't it? When you don't know how something's going to work out, and you're in the midst of it right now, and you say, you know, if I did this, this would make this work out a lot better. Don't do that. Because those are opportunities that God is wanting to work in and through your life to cause you to trust him. And he says, with thanksgiving, God, I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't like this right now, but God, I thank you for allowing me into this time. And what does it say? And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, a better way to understand it, which is beyond our ability to understand. The peace of God. You can be walking through a time that is so hard, and yet you can have the peace of God in the midst of that time. That's God's gift. And that's God's promise to you as well. And the peace of God, which is beyond our ability to understand, will do what? He will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's hope. That's the hope that we have in Christ. That's the hope that Your hope came how? Your hope came in the darkest of times. Your hope came as a child. Your hope deeply cares for you. Your hope is mighty God. Your hope is eternal. And your hope brings lasting peace. But there is one more. Your hope is in a living God. Your hope is a living hope. I want to play a song for you, uh, uh, Phil Wickham's song, uh, Our Our Living Hope. And then I'm going to come when that's done, and I'm going to close this in prayer. Precious Father, we thank you for the living hope that we have in Christ. A hope that brings lasting peace. Hope that is eternal. 
hope that is mighty God. Hope that deeply cares about us. Hope that comes in the darkest of times. Hope that you brought as a child. God, you did not want us to wonder. You did not want us to to worry. You wanted us to live a life with purpose and meaning. A life that was marked by hope. God, I thank you that you are the one that we can put our hope in this morning. Father, I pray for those who are walking through dark times. You said there was a day when you said, let there be light. There was another day when your son cried for the first time. And you said, let there be light. And Jesus, for those walking in darkness right now, walking in darkness that takes the form of pain in their lives, takes the form of uncertainty, things that are going on that just don't seem fair. Precious Father, would you shine the light of Christ, the light of hope in the midst of that darkness. You've promised that 700 years before Christ, And with the coming of your Son, Jesus Christ, Father, you brought that promise to fruition. And I pray, God, would you shine that light in the midst of darkness. God, you deeply care. Would you come alongside of those today whose cares, who the burdens of this world are destroying them, who are taking their minds and their hearts away from what it is that, God, you desire. And I pray that today, that their hope, which brings lasting peace, that they would not just know it in their minds, but that they would know it in their hearts as well, that they would take it to themselves. Lord, for some, they are searching for direction. They are searching and asking God, what is it? I don't know, God, what it is that you would have me to do. You are our teacher. You are the one who deeply cares. You are the one who is a father to us. Would you come alongside, and God, would you give very clear direction? I thank you also that you are mighty. There are situations that we are walking through right now that we see no hope. We see no answer. And yet, God, in authority, you came and you gave us authority. We do not walk out of here in our own strength and our own... Well, we can, but God, you never meant for us to. And Lord, where the enemy comes and where he would love to say you're not God's child, where the enemy would love to come in and and to just pummel us, Lord, I pray that we would take your word. Your word says, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee. Lord, we would move in the authority and in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. God, this flock is precious to you. And Lord, you care so deeply for them. And I pray that, Lord, as we leave this place now, I pray for the blessing of the peace of Christ. I pray that your hope would be known in our hearts. And God, for those today who would say, I don't believe in you. I don't need you. God, in your mercy, would you continue to speak to them? 
Because when you came, you came to elicit the response of choosing you. Some will choose to reject, but I pray that today, as we've heard your word, we will not reject the truth. I pray this all in the precious name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Now may the grace and the peace and the hope of the Lord Jesus Christ be yours. Go in that strength and go in that absolute assurance that you are his child. In Jesus' precious name, amen. Have a great week.